0: Welcome to The Definitive Rap, where we report the truth about American exceptionalism. We love our flag, we love our country, and we believe in America. The Definitive Rap, where we respect people of faith, the men and women in blue, and our support for Israel. And now your hosts, Bela Sebro. She's the nice one. And Ellen Skorsky. Uh, he's not so nice, but together they are the definitive rap. I'm Alan Skorsky with my co-host Bayless Seabrow and welcome to the definitive rap where we discuss the news items the mainstream media just won't touch. The definitive rap is proud to be the official podcast of vinnews.com. Over the last month, I have been to multiple rallies on Long Island in support of fighting anti-Semitism. The rallies featured speakers from all backgrounds, religious leaders, activists, and politicians from both sides of the political aisle. The one thing they all had in common was their lack of a strong backbone. With all of the attacks against Jews in America and Israel, from academia student government bodies trying to ram BDS resolutions down universities' throats, to the media's unbalanced reporting on Israel, to Jews getting beat up in the streets of New York and L.A., to Israeli cargo ships being blocked from docking at U.S. ports, to outright blatant attacks against Israel's very legitimacy from powerful voices inside the United States Congress. Congresswomen focused primarily on Israel, who blood libel Israel in ways that would parallel Joseph Goebbels with accusations of apartheid, genocide, ethnic cleansing, and crimes against humanity, all intentional lies to delegitimize Israel and destabilize the U.S.-Israel relationship. Not one single speaker at these rallies had the guts to call out these people by name. So I will. Rashida Taleb, Ilhan Omar, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Ayanna Presley, the leaders of the Hamas caucus, who know they are lying but are so forceful in their lies that leaders of their party, including longtime serving Jewish Democrats like Chuck Schumer and Gerald Nadler, are terrified to rebuke them out of fear of being called sexist and racist, and even worse, the fear of being primaried by another radical progressive. Today, we are honored to once again have our great friend, Jonathan Tobin, whom Bela will introduce shortly, and whom we want to congratulate and wish success on the launch of his new podcast, The Top Story with Jonathan Tobin. Today, we will discuss, amongst other things, his recent column in The Federalist titled, If Ilhan Omar Were a Republican, She'd Be Treated Like Marjorie Taylor Greene. Bela?
1: Thank you, Alan. Before the Holocaust, there was not enough protest against anti-Semitism. Before the slaughter of six million, the world stood still and didn't make a sound when Jewish businesses were boycotted, when Jewish men, women, and children were attacked on the streets. People thought it would pass, and they just stood still. In this day and age, we have seen a lot of hatred and a lot of violence against Jews all across the country and Europe. And what we are seeing are signs similar to what happened in Europe in the 1930s, where Jews were attacked simply and for no other reason than the fact that they are Jewish. So now we have people, including politicians, speaking up against anti-Semitism. But as Alan said, we do have the rallies, lots of them, in almost every community across the country, but that's not enough. It's not enough to just condemn the attacks. But to call out those who are encouraging anti Semitism, active anti-Semitism, and it's not being done. Why not? Why isn't it being called out? Is it because Jews in politics want to be politically correct? Or is it that they are afraid to rock the boat? Meaning, is it fear? Let's not upset the enemy for they may do more harm? I wonder. We will talk more about this topic and about the weak response against anti-Semitism with our guest. We have with us today award-winning journalist Jonathan Tobin, editor-in-chief of JNS, a senior contributor for The Federalist, and a columnist for The New York Post, Newsweek, and Haaretz, and host of the new podcast, Top Story with Jonathan Tobin. Jonathan, I am honored to welcome you back again on The Definitive Wrap.
2: Thanks so much, Baila, and it's great to be on with you.
1: Jonathan, you recently published an article in The Federalist cleverly entitled If Elan Omar was a Republican, she'd be another Marjorie Taylor Greene. And you talk about how in just a few short years, Omar and the squad have done more to establish anti-Semitic stereotypes and libels in mainstream discourse than any extremist right winger could have accomplished in decades. Jonathan, you're one of the most prolific writers and speakers. And so I will hand the floor over to you so you can explain to our audience where we stand today with regard to the open hatred against Jews and specifically your recent article.
2: Well, thanks very much, Bela. I think the, what we've seen in the last two months is uh, an interesting insight into the progress or rather the, the descent uh, of American public discourse with respect to anti-Semitism and Israel. Um, the irony is, is that the uh, recent fighting between Israel and Hamas, when Hamas was shooting thousands of rockets into Israel, and Israel fired back to suppress that rocket fire, um, killing relatively few people on the other side, most of them uh, ter- the terrorists themselves, and it prompted an avalanche of abuse and lies about what Israel was doing. Not just from the usual suspects on the far left, but from people in Congress. There was a, you know, a uh, session after hours in which, you know, a dozen um, members of Congress s- stood up to denounce Israel as an apartheid state, to um, propagate all sorts of really blood libels against it as, uh, you know, killing children and you know, at the head of this war, as you say, the squad, um, I might add, who came into our lives in the fall of 2018, when they were elected to Congress, but their numbers grew less in, to- in 2020. Uh, there are now, you know, maybe as many as a dozen people who are sort of affiliated with them in Congress um, from a-, a variety of places around the map. So their influence is growing. But what what was really fascinating is that how difficult it is for so many people whose job it is to monitor anti-Semitism to connect the dots between their libels of of Jews and Israel and the violence that we've seen on the streets of New York and, and other cities in this country. It's not just happening in London and Paris and Sweden and places in Europe where we're now sadly accustomed to stories About anti Semitism, open anti Semitism, Jews being afraid to walk around openly with symbols or clothing, identifying themselves as Jews. It's happening here. It's happening here too. And while um, sort of the organized, the the voices of organized Jewry are very quick, uh, too quick, uh, to connect dots between people they don't like on the right. And anti-Semitism, that was certainly included former President Trump, other Republicans, Marjorie Taylor Greene being one, saying that they're enabling anti-Semitism, not that they're speaking anti-Semitic things themselves, but by their mere association, they're encouraging hate. Whereas on the left, we have people actually using anti-Semitic tropes, actual supporters of the anti-Semitic BDS movement. And it's very difficult for um, Jewish leaders, people like the head of the ADL, Jonathan, you know, uh, Jonathan Greenblatt, and others associated with that, to actually say their names, to you know, to coin a phrase, and to identify them as people who are literally encouraging, fomenting anti-Semitism, and we had an very interesting, you know, we, we that happened, and some members of Congress, including Democrats, spoke back against these lies. But fast forward a few weeks, and last week, during the course of a question and answer session with the Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, um, uh, Ilhan Omar, who has a seat on the Foreign Relations Committee, um, in the course of uh, expressing her support for the International Criminal Court's um, persecution of Israel and its anti-Semitic activities, which were sanctioned by President Trump, and um, are now, those sanctions being now lifted by the Biden administration. But there, the Biden administration won't go so far as to endorse what the ICC is doing. So Ilhan Omar was uh, chiding Blinken for, for that, for not being joining, in the, uh, joining the jackals, uh, baying at, at Israel, uh, fought with the false charges. She, she basically, she compared both Israel and the United States to Hamas and Al Qaeda and, and to the Taliban, um, this got you know this got a lot of people's notice. And indeed, the Jewish Caucus of Democrats in the House, 25 members strong, met and actually discussed it. I mean, this is open anti-Semitism. You know, it's anti-Americanism too. And um, some of them wanted to condemn it and to condemn her by name. Um, but in the end, of the 25, only 12 would sign on to a statement condemning Ilhan Omar. The majority, 13 out of the 25, refused to do so. Now, the names of some of those 12 were interesting. One of them happened to be Jerry Nadler, who's, you know, the uh, congressman for the People's Republic of the Upper West Side of Manhattan, and his left wing and as, you know, vicious a partisan as you can imagine. But even he was, felt that he was obligated to condemn Omar. But the majority of Democrats, Jewish Democrats in the House, would not do it. Um, and we soon saw why they would not do it. Because Omar and all of her friends in Congress and in, po- in popular culture immediately labeled those 12 Jews, Democratic Jews, liberals, many of the members of the Progressive Caucus in, in, in the House, um, as fomenting hate and racism and targeting a woman of color, um, they were put in the dock. Not the people who wouldn't sign, but the people who did sign. Now, what was the outcome of this? It was a replay of what happened two years ago in 2019 when Omar uh, trafficked in other anti-Semitic tropes. uh, It's all about the Benjamins claiming that Jews were buying congressional support for Israel. The House leadership joined the 12 Democrats in saying what she said was wrong, but then quickly accepted her non-apology apology, in which she said, you've just taken me out of context. She didn't actually apologize. She just said I was taken out of context. Of course, as I wrote, what she said in context was as bad as as the quote out of context. So that was a completely false argument. And they said, okay, it's all over. And the Democrats breathed a sigh of relief and said, okay, fine. But that showed us two things. Number one, the House leadership, people who are really powerful, Nancy Pelosi, Steny Hoyer, who are basically pro-Israel. They're not, you know, they they, they like the Israel of the left, but they're not anti-Israel in principle. But they are afraid of Ilhan Omar, just as they were two years ago. They know that the left wing of their party, the party base, the progressive caucus, which endorsed Omar, which you know about half of the members of the of the Democrats in the house are members of the Congre- progressive caucus. Um so this is this is not a surprise. Um and they endorsed her and they were were against the people calling her out. So there was a real risk and on social media there was an avalanche as I said of imprecations against the 12 Jews who spoke against her. Um so We see, number one, there's a price to pay for standing up against anti-Semitism in the Democratic Party. And we also soon realize, once you drill down into the people who wouldn't speak out or who were endorsing Omar, in that a lot of Democrats, including Jewish Democrats, think there's nothing wrong with targeting Israel. Nothing wrong with her trafficking in anti-Semitism. You have to ask yourself why. I mean, they all say they're against anti-Semitism. Ilhan Omar says she's against anti-Semitism, even as she does it. Right. So what's, it, what's at work here? The answer is critical race theory and the Black Lives Matter movement. It's because these ideas, these toxic theories uh, related to the New York Times 1619 project about how America is evil and which identifies Israel as a beneficiary of white privilege, quote unquote, that Israel is a white country, even though the majority of the Jews, there, are, by their own definitions, people of color, because they're from the Middle East, the Mizrahim, they, they, the bulk of the Democratic Party has bought into these toxic notions that basically gives a permission slip to anti-Semitism by saying that Jews and Israel are white, white privilege and that they are oppressing people of color, the indigenous people there, as if Jews were not the indigenous people of the land of Israel. So we've set up a situation where some Democrats are afraid of the left, and not without reason. And some of them are buying into these theories. And that's the problem. That's the fight that's going on in the Democratic Party. And it's not a fight that the friends of Israel or the opponents of anti-Semitism are winning.
0: Right, Jonathan, I had a couple of comments I want to refer to in your column. So the letter that the 12 Jewish Democrats signed on to, like the first sentence was equating the United States and Israel to Hamas and the Taliban is as offensive as it is misguided. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, I only hope that they could survive that tongue lashing. How weak a comment is that. And then later on, they say, the United States and Israel are imperfect, like all democracies, at times deserving of critique, but false equivalences give cover to terrorist groups. Again, this is weak. This is apologizing for having the temerity to even, you know, look at them the wrong way. So if if this is the best we have, then we might as well just fold up our tents. It was a very weak and timid, I can't even call it condemnation. It was more of a, you know, wagging the finger at them and then apologizing for doing that. And then I have another question, but I'll, I'll wait till a little bit later well, in the interview. I'll just
2: say this. The, the, the lines that you quoted certainly could have been stronger, um, for sure. I'm not going to argue that point. But what was really weak about that statement was how it ended, which you just asked her to clarify her comments. Right. It didn't say, and we want to censor you, and we want to throw you off committees, the way we, the way Democrats did to Marjorie Taylor Greene and Steve King two years before that, that was the problem. I have no problem with people saying that Israel and the United States are imperfect. Of course they're imperfect. We could. But it was unnecessary. It was
0: unnecessary in the you know,
2: context. But, and and um, you know all the, their formulation, I could live with that. That's fine. But the if, if the bottom line is, we just ask you to clarify. That was weak, and I and, and I, I wrote as much. Right. that it was weak, but it, it was better than nothing. But even that weak, you know, call for a clarification brought down, you know, on them, you know, all sorts of condemnations from the left and they found themselves isolated. The next time this happens, you know, if you're one of those 25 Democrats, would you, you know, do you want to risk alienating your base? And, you know, are you that secure? Are you, you know, are you, are you that confident? In your political future, that you'll stand up to Ilhan Omar? After all, the, the 12 people that condemned her, they're not getting invited onto Stephen Colbert. They're not getting invited onto the Daily Show with uh, Trevor Noah. They're not rock stars like AOC and Ilhan Omar and Rashida Khalid. They're, you know, they're not they're not such big deals. And among them, you know, among the 13 that didn't sign on were people like Jamie Raskin in Maryland. Who is, you know, uh, lauded by by liberal Democrats as the epitome of the thoughtful, um, you know, Jewish Democrat, the epitome of, you know, of, uh, of Jewish liberalism today? And if that's the best they've got, who are so timid and and really on the wrong side of these issues, um, that's a terrible commentary,
1: Jonathan. If the tables were turned. And Jews did what anti-Semites are doing, <coughs> the other way around. The world would be in an absolute uproar. In fact, we saw how Omar's support for the ICC's attempts to criminalize Israel's self-defense against Hamas, terrorism, speaks for itself. But you see, I'm still wondering whether it's fear that's causing Democrats to remain silent. Because the Jewish Democrats who did not sign a statement against Omar comparing Israel and the United States to terrorist organizations were not criticized, yet those who did criticized found themselves under attack for supposedly persecuting omar so what gives is it really is fair as you said a few minutes ago and and also we're seeing reward in a twisted way i remember that omar smeared u.s service members and minimized the 9-11 attacks by stating that some people did something and right after that nancy pelosi took her to a trip to africa yeah, well,
2: Nancy Pelosi, you know, she's she knows how to count votes. Whatever you think about her, she's she's you know a, a sharp political operator, uh, none sharper really. And um, and she did this dance two years ago, as I said, where she said what Omar said was wrong, but then she embraces her. She goes on a you know she goes on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine. You know, cue the music um, to uh, to take her have her picture taken with Omar and the rest in NAOC and the rest of the squad. She needs these people. She needs their votes and she needs their voters more to the point. The Democrats, you know, the the um, base of the democratic party is shifted to the left. It's increasingly radicalized and it has bought into, as I say, to these toxic racial or critical race theories um, that are not only bad for America, they are, you um, you know, they are part of the foundation of demonizing Israel and demonizing Jews. And there's a direct connection between this sort of activity and these sorts of terrible ideas and the anti-Semitism that we're seeing growing. And yes, there's anti-Semitism from the right. We know that's a reality, but we need we yeah. need for our Jewish leadership to be as quick to point fingers and connect dots when it's on the left. And that's where it's really growing. That's where the bulk that's because that's the kind of anti-Semitism that is gaining acceptance in the public square. This sort of demonization of Israel within within the media. We saw that letter signed by hundreds of mainstream journalists, not all of the mainstream, but some of them. Right. Among them, I might add, Nicole Hannah-Jones, the author of the 1619 Project at the Times, um, demonizing Israel, claiming Israel is an apartheid state and saying coverage of it you know, should not be fair. It should be told from the point of view that it's an oppressor and a racist state, these ideas have consequences. This acceptance, this legitimization of these terrible ideas ha- have consequences for Jews and for the growth of antisemitism in ways that the lunatic right simply has no traction in the public square the way people like Ilhan Omar and AOC don't do. Jonathan, I've got a couple <laughs> of
0: <laughs> questions. Um, in her clarification, Omar says, I was in no way equating terrorist organizations with democratic countries with well established judicial systems. Since we all know that Ilhan Omar does not recognize Israel as a democratic country with a well established judicial system, she basically just laughed at everybody. And no, and Pelosi said, You've clarified it. It's good enough for us. And no one said, Wait a second you're not talking about Israel because you don't recognize Israel's judicial system or democracy. That's my first question. And then again, I'll, you know, I'll let Bill come in afterwards, but can you address uh, what I just said? Did she just get away with it or did no one else pick up that that clarification was a load of BS?
2: Well, it was a load of BS. It was obviously um, she was sort of parsing things very carefully. Um, You know, if you think Israel is not legitimate, if it doesn't deserve to exist, you're basically engaging in anti-Semitism. And so, so the whole argument is somewhat circular. I mean, you know, trying to decide which aspect of our anti-Semitic, anti-Israel, anti-Zionist um, utterances are really culpable. It's, it's, you know, it's like you're, you're chasing your tail. It's all bad. Um, listen, AOC, the same thing. She, in the middle of the, the fighting with Gaza, she tweeted, apartheid states aren't democracies. You know, she doesn't, you know, she doesn't think Israel is a legitimate state either. Um, and fine, we, you know, we know there are extremists on the left, there are extremists on the right. But these people aren't treated, you know, the way we would treat David Duke or even the way we're treating Marjorie Taylor Greene, you know, uh, the congressman from QAnon, according to the mainstream media, who has, you know, said a lot of wacky, wrong you know, terrible things, although she, she she does try to clean it up because she doesn't seem to understand much about these topics. Right. But she's not treated like a mainstream person. She's demonized in, in our public square by popular culture, by the mainstream media. AOC and Eleanor March still treated like stars, still treated like role models. That's the problem. They have tremendous influence on the Democratic Party, on our culture. And you know when when they came in, and even even now, I, I hear from people saying, "Why are you paying so much attention to them? You know, they're backbenchers. They've accomplished nothing in Congress. Their legislative achievements are zero. I mean, what has AOC done from New York other than you know chasing Amazon and you know tens of thousands of jobs out of out of the out of Queens? She's done nothing. But in fact. She's been very consequential. So have the other members of the squad. They have more influence than virtually anybody in Congress other than the leadership.
1: Jonathan, in your analysis, what's behind the surge of anti-Semitism in Europe?
2: Well, what's going on in Europe um, is nothing new. It is a sort of strange alliance. Um, You know, my my colleague and friend and uh, JNS columnist, Melanie Phillips, has written a lot about this. It's an alliance of, Leftist elites, people that were recognizable to us here as people who sort of the liberal mainstream culture, who have embraced the demonization of Israel, allying themselves with uh, forces of Islamism, of, you know, these large, you know, immigrant communities from the Middle East and North Africa who have, you know, tremendous influence and in great numbers in countries like, like France and, and Britain and, and Germany. Um, Western Europe, enlightened Western Europe. And so these two disparate forces who are really at cross purposes about many things um, have joined forces with regards to anti-Semitism and and Israel. And Israel is the excuse for traditional anti-Semitism. It's worked its way back into the mainstream. It's become. You know, after the Holocaust, it was axiomatic that open anti-Semitism wasn't acceptable, you know, anywhere in Europe. Uh, but now it's become acceptable again, and Israel is the excuse that allows them to go back to their traditional demonization of Jews and to sort of shuck any guilt about the Holocaust. And uh, you know, it's it's that simple. That's that's where we are. Forces of the left, forces of the right within the Muslim world, uniting against Jews of all people. Um, and that's where we have it. Now, what we don't want is sort of for that to migrate to this country. Um, but in fact, with the squad, we have a beachhead of these same forces where the far left and Islamists, you know, join up. Um, they're sort of, you know, it's, it's the uh, thin edge of the wedge, the tip of the iceberg there. Um, so that, that's why it's so important to speak up against them and to not allow these people to uh, gain more traction.
0: Jonathan, another uh, question, and this ties into two issues. A few weeks ago, a young man from the Five Towns, is it Joey Brogan or Borgan? Bela? Borgan. Borgan. He was beat up pretty badly by a mob of Palestinians. Uh, They were soon bailed out. And I don't remember the group who bailed them out, but when he was released, he said he would do it again. Now, what this showed me was there is either a Palestinian charity group or legal foundation who will now bail out any Arabs who beat up Jews. Secondly, now go ahead. I'm sorry, you were gonna look like. You yeah, I mean, I, that. I
2: think. Listen, um, Islamist groups, groups that you know um, operate under the guise of human rights. You know, people like CARE and Islamic Society of North America. I mean, uh, there's been the Middle East Forum and others have done great work in uncovering. Um, the way they have legitimized radicalism within the Muslim community and purport to speak for all um, uh, you know, Muslim Americans, um, which I don't believe they do. But they have created an atmosphere in which such behavior is normalized and legitimized. And um, it's very difficult for people within that community to speak up against it. You know, go ahead.
1: actually, our time is up. <laughs> um, Jonathan, uh, thank you for joining us today. And congratulations again on your new podcast. And thank you to our audience for tuning in and to VinNews.com for being our official podcast. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you you for having me on again. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening
0: to The Definitive Wrap with your hosts, Bela Sebro and Alan Skorsky. Be sure to tell your family and friends they also can listen to The Definitive Rap on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Play, and your favorite streaming
1: service. See you next time on The Definitive Rap.